And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today in Joel chapter 2, we are taught that seven years of God's judgment in the future will give way to a thousand years of a kingdom of joy. The problem back in Joel's time and here in our time was and still is the human heart. And now, with his message for today is our pastor, Robert Elliott. We also learn that the Gentile nations which reject Jesus Christ at the second coming event, there'll be Gentile nations that reject Jesus Christ. They will come out of the tribulation, distress and judgment and wrath of God, and they will reject Jesus Christ who comes as a second coming event. And those rejecting Gentile nations, God will pour out his wrath on them before the millennial kingdom. So if you look at Joel 3, go ahead to the next chapter, look at verse 2. I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people, that is the Jews, and my inheritance, Israel, whom I have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land." In the millennial kingdom, the Jews will get all every inch of real estate that was promised to them in the Palestinian covenant of the Old Testament. Every square inch of real estate God promised them back in the Old Testament, they will occupy. And the nations that were trying to hinder them from occupying those things, you know who they are. Iraq, Iran, Syria. Those nations will be judged of God before the kingdom of Christ begins. Skip down to verses 9 to 16 of chapter 3. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare a war. Rouse the mighty men. Let all the soldiers draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a mighty man. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down, O Lord, your mighty ones. Verse 12. Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth tremble. God is saying he's going to pour out judgment on the unbelieving Gentile nations and the one who will supervise that judgment is the one who sits on the throne, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our Savior and our Master and our King, Jesus Christ. What a day. And going back in consideration of that seven-year tribulation period that was future to Joel when he wrote way back here in before Christ, and this tribulation that is, I believe, soon coming. I don't know when Christ is going to rapture the church. I'm not setting a date. But everything is lining up, brothers and sisters. Everything is lining up. Perhaps today. But as Joel was told to look down the corridors of time to the millennial kingdom and to the tribulation that precedes the millennial kingdom, God gave him some details. God gave the prophet Joel 
the facts that during the tribulation, God will pour out his wrath on creation. The waters of the earth, the oceans of the earth will turn to blood, earthquakes, etc. in the tribulation. God will pour out his wrath in the tribulation on mankind. Significant percentages of mankind will die. And in doing so, both the unbelieving Jews and the unbelieving Gentiles of that time of the tribulation will suffer a great deal and will die. And those who come to saving faith in Christ in the tribulation, the same way that we come to saving faith in Christ in the church age, those that receive his salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, those people will be saved just like we are in the tribulation. They will not be saved bodily. Most all of them will die a martyr's death because they will refuse to take the mark of the beast. They'll be unable to transact and buy groceries. They'll be persecuted and killed, most all of them. But some of those tribulation-age believers who trust Jesus as Lord and Savior near the end of the seven years, they will survive bodily, and they will enter into the millennial kingdom with bodies that are capable of reproduction. And we'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. So when Christ returns... For his second coming, the seven years of tribulation are ended and the thousand years of millennium begin. And at that time, when Christ returns for his second coming, there'll be seven years of reproof giving way to a thousand years of restoration. At that time, there'll be seven years of judgment giving way to a thousand years of joy. At that time, there'll be seven years of exfoliation giving way to a thousand years of exoneration. At that time of Christ's second coming, seven years of wrath will give way to 1,000 years of worship. At that time, seven years of catastrophe will give way to a thousand years of creation being cured. At that time, seven years of reeling will give way to a thousand years of rest. At that time, seven years of Christ being seated in heaven and pouring out his wrath on earth will give way to a thousand years of Christ literally being seated in Jerusalem as king. And generally speaking, within this tribulation, many Jews will come to saving faith in Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus Christ. It says in Revelation 14, that at least 144,000 Jews alive on earth at that time will trust Jesus for their salvation. They are not Jehovah's Witnesses. They are converted Jews in the tribulation. And I'm sure there'll be many, many more Jews than 144,000 who will turn to Christ and be gloriously saved. But as I've said earlier, those that turn to Christ and are gloriously saved will be hated by the Antichrist, hated by the system he establishes, and they will die martyrs' deaths. Most all of them. In contrast, for the most part, at the second coming event, unbelieving Gentiles, as I've mentioned, are judged. King Jesus judges them. He does battle against them before he fully establishes his thousand-year righteous reign and rule and kingdom. And so, in this church age, the age in which we live that started with the day of Pentecost and ends with the rapture of the church, People who have died believing in Christ or have been raptured alive will enter the millennial kingdom, but we will enter that in bodies incapable of reproduction. It is only the believers in Christ near the end of the seven years who will enter that millennial kingdom with bodies capable of reproduction. But when there is that great renaissance 
of righteousness in creation, fertility will increase. And women will bear children longer than they do now. And lifespan will be elongated longer than it presently is. And so there'll be many, many, many babies born in that thousand-year period. And they will be born with a sin nature. And they'll see Jesus Christ ruling and reigning in Jerusalem, maybe on CNN News, I don't know. But they're going to see, they'll know he's king. But as those babies grow up to be old enough to marry and to have their own babies, generation after generation after generation will be born and will live and will die even with elongated lifespan. And a whole host of people will be born in that perfect time on earth with Jesus ruling earth as king. But the incredible thing is that the end of a thousand years when Satan is released from the pit that is described in Revelation 20, 1 through 3, when he's released from that pit and essentially goes, who wants to take Christ out? The people that will side with Satan to try a coup d'etat against King Christ are innumerable. It says in Revelation 20, they are like the sands of the seashore, those who want to rebel against Jesus Christ. And that tells us, church, that our problem with sin in our culture and in our society is not a problem of environment, a problem of education, a problem of poverty, Our problem in this age and every age is a heart problem. Jeremiah says in 17 verse 9, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's a heart problem. And so these people who are born in the future kingdom and grow up with Jesus Christ as their righteous king who suppresses sin with an iron scepter and force, when all is said and done and Satan is loosed and says, who wants to take Christ out as king? An innumerable number say they do want to do that. They were faking They were faking submission to his kingship. They were just biting their tongues, biding time, hoping his righteous reign would end so they could be evil and sinful and vile. Oh yes, the problem then in the future and the problem here tonight is a heart problem. It is not an environmental problem. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning, this is Pastor Nicholas. And today we want to start a new series on talking about Jesus and your influence. You know, if we are all honest with ourselves, people have had influence in our lives. Whether we want to consider it be positive influence, but as negative influence. And let's also remember that we find, you know, different influence through people who are actors and sports athletes. And all these different people have influence in our lives because... When we see someone on TV, we say, we know what, we like the way they dress, or we like the way they do this, and we want to imitate them and what they do. And today we want to talk about how we in our lives, how we look at influence, and how we influence other people's lives. Today we want to start off by looking at how Jesus himself called people, in general, his disciples, to influence the world. Um, he chose some men who went out into the world to preach the gospel and to influence the world with the truth. Um, as you consider our world and our, you know, as we consider our island that we live in, um, there are many people who have influence. Uh, some of those people are positive influences. Some are negative influences. Um, and, and, and we need to understand that as we consider, as we look into God's word, we look at positive people, positive influence, because this is what these men did. They went and changed the world because they changed the world with the message of Christ. Nothing that they had, but they offered themselves and was available. And in Mark chapter 1, 
starting at verse 16, it says this, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, and the brother of Simon casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Again, as we consider this, and we consider this one passage, um, here it is, Jesus starts off by saying, Follow me. And he understands, he uses the term for them to understand because they were fishermen. And so, as we know, anyone who fishes, they fish for fish. Um, there's no one who likes to go to sea and, you know, come back with no catch. Um, if you go for a catch, you want to make sure that, you know, you have a good catch. In fact, as I know some charter boats, you know, they have to guarantee that as they take you out into a charter that you're going to at least catch one fish. And sometimes in those cases, if you don't catch anything, it's a money-back guarantee. So when we consider this, we need to make sure that we understand that as Jesus is bringing his illustration, he's understanding the, the, the task that he's given them. He starts off by being talking about fishers. But this time he changed it from being a fisher of fish to fishers of men. So Jesus is basically telling them, look, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you an influence in this world. I will make you a person who can influence many people. And a question for us as we consider this this morning is this. Are you willing to be an influence? And the question on that other side of that is this. Are you willing to be a good influence? Because here it is, Jesus calling these men to be a good influence. He's calling them to be an influence to the world. Their answer is, again, are you going to answer the call? As we see in verse 18 of Mark chapter 1, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. Again, they didn't think about it. They didn't have no task. They didn't think, oh, well, you know, what are you talking about being a fisher of men? No, no. They did it without even thinking. They did it without even a thought because they realized that they were following Jesus. They realized that who they were following was, was a person of influence. A person they had seen, and, and as we consider the, the beginning of this chapter, you know, John has already prepared the way for Jesus to come, and, and, and this is the, the, the way that he starts off his ministry by calling these disciples. And we, and we see exactly as they consider, immediately they left their nets and followed him. They understood that he wasn't talking about no kind of fishing, in a sense, uh, with the nets. But he talked about how we can be fishers of men, how we can lead a, and change a world. You know, as you consider, young person, as you consider this and the summer is here, um, you need to ask yourself, what type of influence are you going to be? You know, let's be real. When the summer comes, it's the time when most young people get in the most trouble because it's idle time. You know, we have nothing else to do. You know, some of us may have a job. Some of us may have other things to do. But the reality is that some of us are not doing anything. We're just home you know, watching TV, surfing the internet, doing whatever it is we want to do. And we need to ask ourselves, what type of influence are we going to be? What type of person are we going to be? You know, we have friends come over and, and do things. Are we going to be a person that's influenced them in the right way or the wrong way? You know, for me, as I consider growing up and I consider um, when I was a teenager, um, you know, I didn't use the opportunities to be a good influence. I'm, I followed the crowd. I did things that I knew I shouldn't have done just to be accepted. But when we consider when people stand up for what they believe and stand up in their faith, uh, people do respect you for that because they understand that, you know, you know, you really mean what you're, you're saying. And I think too many times as we consider our lives and we consider um, just faith and we consider what we do, 
you know, sometimes we just do things to, you know, be accepted by people. And they're influencing us. And we're not being the influence that Jesus would have us to be. It goes on in verse 19 of Mark chapter 1 says, And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Again, as we consider this and we consider how, you know, these two, again, fishermen, they left. They left everything. They left everything behind because they followed Christ. They left everything, even their father and their parents and whoever it was, to be an influence to the world. Again, what, what are you going to do? How are you going to spend your some of the, How are you going to spend your life? Are you going to spend your, your life being an influence and influencing people in the right way? Um, one one thing I like to always say is that you know we're we're all an example of something. We all portray something, and the way we portray things in our lives, people are watching us. They see the type of person you are. And again, as we consider, you know, I know that, you know, as a young person, you you listen to this broadcast and, and you think to yourself. Well, I am a person of influence. I got many followers. I got plenty of people following me, and you know, I people just are drawn to me. Again, the question becomes: Well, what type of influence are you? Are you a person that's that's going to strive um, to to influence those people in the right way? Because I think that today we have too many people and too many people in the world that are, are influenced, but they're influencing people in the wrong direction. They're influencing people to do different things that they know they shouldn't do. You know, just just as I, I consider this, and again, as I reflect as a teenager, I will never forget that this one time, um, you know, thank the Lord that I've never done that, but I just remember this time that I was with a group of friends. And at that time, we, we thought, well, some of them thought it would be cool to just smoke banana leaf. You know, we didn't have cigarettes, so we didn't have anything else, but they thought it would be cool to smoke banana leaf just to see what it's like. And I just knew that in, in my life, that's, that's not something I wanted to do. Um, so I didn't allow them to influence me to, to follow them and do that. But I think too many times as, as we consider our lives and we consider when people come into, you know, we come in contact with them, we allow them to influence us because we don't want people to say things about us. We don't want people to talk bad about us. We want to be accepted by everyone. And the problem is if you're accepted by everyone, then you're doing something wrong. Because there's no way we can be accepted by everyone. Because what we're doing is just be, we're just being a fake. And we're just going with whatever direction people want us to go. So I would challenge you as we start this series and we talk about being an influence, I want you to really think about, you know, how these disciples, they left everything to follow Christ. And not just to follow Christ, but to influence the world and be disciple-making changers for Christ. And now... Today's Ministry Spotlight. Good morning. I'm in the studio this morning with Lorraine Green. Good morning, Lorraine. Good morning, Pastor Rob. You are a delight to get to know, and you come to us all the way from South Africa, where you serve as the Senior Director for Global Ministry in Sub-Saharan Africa with Team Mission. And I know that you've shared with me that your beginnings were in Duluth, Minnesota, Northern <laughs> Minnesota. What an exciting adventure you are on with the Lord. Lorraine, I was hoping you could help our listeners know something about the African country called Mozambique, and particularly a place there, the Zambezi Delta. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, Mozambique was a country that was colonized by the Portuguese. Oh, boy, 400 years ago, Mm. they first came in there, and the Catholic Church was strong, um, particularly in urban centers. But, um, oh, boy, how many years? 30 years ago or so, the Portuguese were driven out, and the country descended into civil war as um, the communists uh, tried to control that country. Eventually, that settled down, and the doors opened, even now, for Protestant missionaries to to come into Mozambique. So for the last, since the 1990s, that's almost 20 years now, um, the doors have been open to missionaries, um, Protestant missionaries, evangelical missionaries moving in there. And so, um, yeah, uh, a lot of good work has been done in these more recent years, and the church is growing. Actually, the church was growing because of so many Mozambicans coming to South Africa to get jobs in the mining industry, they heard the gospel and went back home with the gospel to their villages. And so the church has been uh, growing there in Mozambique, but it's been a struggle, be- uh-huh. again, because of the uh, strong uh, influence of communism and, and the Portuguese in the years past. Mozambique has a troubled history, and uh, and a lot of the problem that the church in Mozambique faces today has to do with the confusion of so many voices speaking into their religious life from so many different perspectives. And so, um, yeah, the gospel work in Mozambique is a real challenge. Um, We have, our attention has been drawn most recently to a particular area that we call the Delta region of the Zambezi River. There are many rivers that drain out of the rainforest, cross Mozambique and empty into the ocean, into the Indian Ocean. Um, But uh, one large river called the Zambezi was first explored by David Livingston um, over 150 years ago. Hmm. David Livingston's wife is buried in the Delta region Hmm. of the Zambezi River where she died of malaria when they were trekking through that region. And uh, my colleague, Jörg von Dyck, has seen her gravesite uh-huh. there in the Delta. Um, about, oh, it's just a, almost a year ago, I wrote a prayer letter saying that we were, team was looking at uh, Tet, Mozambique, another further up the river um, in Tet province. And a colleague received that letter and passed it on to a friend of his who was a pilot with a ministry called Mercy Air, which is similar to Missionary Aviation Fellowship, MAF. So many are familiar with that. But Mercy Air is an independent um, aviation ministry based in South Africa. And they have worked for a number of years in the Delta region. They go in with helicopters because you can't build a landing strip for a fixed wing airplane. They have to use helicopters. Mm And so um, partnering with YWAM, they have worked uh, in that area for the last 20 years or so, and they do a lot to promote education and medical work. And if they had somebody interested in agriculture, they would be involved in that too. But they approached team a year ago and asked if we would come and help them, especially in the area of theological training and church development. As I said, YWAM has been there with short-termers for a number of years, and they have pioneered the area. But uh, Mercy Air and YWAM sensed that the church leaders needed to go deeper in their understanding of the Word of God 
and in their training as pastors. And so they're looking to team to come along and help them. Just this past weekend, we sent in a team of uh, four missionaries to go and explore with Mercy Air, the Delta region of uh, the Zambezi River. About 40,000 people live in that area in a semi-nomadic lifestyle because of the annual rainy season, that Delta region floods. It's a huge malarial swamp full of crocodiles and hippopotamus. So it's, it's very dangerous. They paddle along with their canoes, but uh, we use the helicopter to come in and land at these villages. And, uh, and so on. We're, we will be now in these weeks and months to come exploring how we can best serve that church um, in light of the geographical challenges and, the, as I said, the religious confusion and, and many voices that have been speaking into that community over the years. Um, how can we best serve them to teach the Word of God and a, and a pure gospel mm-hmm. and challenge the people to follow Christ with their whole heart, um, abandoning their ancestral worship and uh, occultic practices and to engage um, fully with Christ with a whole heart. And so uh, we have a number of national partners, pastors and individuals who are teaching God's word. We want to recognize what they have done and work with them and uh, and encourage them along the way, uh, together becoming stronger as we work as a team. Wow, there's a lot there. Praise the Lord for his heart for all people to know his son as Savior. I wonder, uh, Lorraine, if you would lead us in prayer for yes. the, the Delta. Yeah. Father, we thank you for the many years of, of missionary interest that goes back to the days of David Livingston, over 150 years ago. Mm-hmm. Your people have had their eye on that region for many, many years. But because of the political and, and, and the difficulties in, you know, that history has dished out to us, that land is the land locked in confusion, especially in the area of religious understanding, Mm. Christianity. And so, Father, now it is a new day of opportunity. And we thank you for those who are laboring in that country, even at this moment. Father, we pray that you would direct their steps and that the Spirit of God would take the instruction, the Bible teaching that they are giving and cause it to to live and give it life Mm -hmm. so that it will penetrate into the hearts of the people, that they will understand and to leave off of their confusion of ancestor worship, the fear that so holds their hearts in relation to that, that they would find instead liberty and um, freedom in Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. and hope of eternal salvation and to be set free from the fear that so um, drives their communities. So, Lord, we do pray for your gospel ministry there in Mozambique. Yes. From one end of that country to the other, very large country, divided up by many different tribes. Father, you know their needs. We thank you for the pastors who are laboring there. Mm-hmm. Father, may you encourage them and uh, send them partners along the way who can facilitate what they are doing and that together they can become stronger. We thank yes. you for Mercy Air and for YWAM that have labored in the Zambezi Delta area for a number of years. Father, I pray that you would continue to bless them and use them for your glory Mm -hmm. and protect them as they fly in and out of these villages. And Lord, may they see the love of Jesus Christ. May the people see the love of Jesus Christ for them and that they would understand 
that your salvation is for them mm. and that they can have the hope of eternal life. So, Lord, we commit this work into your hand. With yeah. thanksgiving, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.